Coming up, a crossover special on the Locked On Podcast Network as the Locked On Nets and the Locked On Grizzlies cross up for some trade conversations at the highest possible level. Mikhail Bridges going to Memphis, maybe some draft night trades as well. Myself and Joe dive in next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into a very special crossover edition. As we mentioned at the top, we have Joe Mullinax from the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. I'm Adam Armbrecht, obviously from Locked on Nets. And we're going to dive into the conversation here discussing, Joe, what you and I have molded this around a little bit as I welcome mm-hmm. you into this one. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Yeah, of course, dude. So the highest level here, we said, going to talk about Mikhail Bridges, a possible blockbuster trade. That's what everybody wants to do. And then maybe the other versions of this thing where both teams can still stand to benefit at different points of their franchise. But welcome into the show. How well, are we thanks. doing? How I'm we doing? doing okay. I'm doing okay. You know, it's, uh, it, you know, DeMichael Cole was my co-host on Lockdown Grizzlies. He's the Grizzlies beat writer for the commercial appeal. He's the more serious uh, host of the podcast. I'm the one who comes up with the harebrained schemes uh, like trading for Mikhail Bridges. So, uh, you know, it, the Nets have always been a team that Grizzlies fans and media have looked at and said, oh, they've got a lot of wings. Memphis needs a wing. Maybe there uh, could be a deal there. So it, it makes sense for us to do this. Yeah, and it's funny, uh, Doug Norrie, obviously co-host on Locked on Nets with me. Like, I like to get into the trade waters because I think it's fun. It doesn't mean that I think it's the best move for the Nets or it's the right move, but right. I don't mind playing around in those waters and going, oh, that's interesting, right? How mm-hmm. much could we get here? And the way that this particular one started off was you put it out uh, on your Twitter timeline. I shared right. it to mine as well, where you asserted the package. This is what, you know, we were beating it around in the DMs. Right. You said, this is what I think would be the best possible package that Memphis would go to the table with if Mikhail Bridges were to be out there. So running it down just quickly here, Tyus Jones, sure. Zaire Williams, Aldama, uh, four first-round picks, two first-round swaps. That's the the baseline and some protected there uh, right. mixed in as well. What did you get feedback-wise from the Grizzlies fan base when you put it up on your side? The way I looked at it being the best was – Mikel Bridges is the top tier, in my opinion, of the type of players that the Memphis Grizzlies can get without including Desmond Bain. Like Jalen Brown, you probably need to include Desmond Bain. Uh, you know, Paul George even. You know, maybe we could have a little debate about that. But, you know, at least in terms of name recognition, maybe that would need Desmond Bain, even though his money is different, all those sorts of things. There's context there that makes it a little bit more complicated. Mikel Bridges seems like the best guy available that wouldn't cost you that and for me looking at the Memphis Grizzlies you have John Morantz who you know even with all the things going on he just signed a five-year max contract he's not going anywhere with him Bain Jaron Jackson Jr. that's a pretty strong big three pretty strong core three you know one superstar level player in Morantz Jaron isn't that far off you know reigning Mm -hmm. defensive player of the year And then Bain, when he's at his best, is an all-star caliber type of wing. Um, I think Mikel Bridges is a perfect fit alongside those guys. As a 3 and D guy that can also create off the dribble. You know, he's not just a three-point shooter. He's not just a defender. There's many layers to his game. 
but he thrives and is so successful in those places that I think that he stands out among the rest of the NBA. When you look at him, you're like, that guy with Morant, Bain, and Jackson Jr., that is a championship core. So that is why I would be willing to just throw the house aside from Bain at the Nets to try to get Bridges, which, you know, even with all those picks, it's still probably not working. Well, it's funny because it's a rare thing. We talk about it all the time, right? The Brooklyn Nets are in a weird kind of set of circumstances. Mikael Bridges shows off this next level to his game after the trade from Phoenix with Kevin Durant. And the Brooklyn Nets are on a championship caliber team right now, right? It's why they're talking about could Damian Lillard possibly come to Brooklyn? What would that look like if they can hold mm-hmm. on to Bridges? But in the absence of that, it's teams like Memphis around the league that are going to say, oh, yeah. It's there's a player that is of a certain caliber and also is on a team that might be willing to do it. The interesting thing to me, too, is when we look at the package specifically talk about and I agree with you, right? If you're if you're Memphis, first of all, not that you're not happy to hopefully be tied to John Morant long term, but you are tied to him long term. So it it doesn't matter right now. So your best bet is to move forward with him. The funny thing is, if the Nets made a trade like this. Then it's like when you look out, because if the Grizzlies were looking to get younger and better as well, well, then you look at a Steven Adams and you say, well, he has a value to a team around the league, but the Brooklyn Nets aren't going to look at any age on the Grizzlies and say, we're willing to take that back. Aldama in this is clearly to me, you know, moving past the picks, he's the guy that gets me excited. Because when you go and look at his numbers and you see how he improved year over year in his first two seasons in the league, gets the field goal percentage back on track, doubles up his minutes, improves the three-point shooting in leaps and bounds, was only shooting Mm -hmm. 12% in his rookie season, right? Free throw shooting improves as well. You can really look at him and say, this is a piece that the Brooklyn Nets organizationally could look at and say, hey, we can use him as, as a foundational piece, young, fits with some timelines, and you can just make some other moves with him, right? Like you feel like there's a weapon there. This Dyer Williams piece of it is funny to me because he he's borderline at the point of being like, hey, he's under control. It's not expensive. But is that even does it matter? Because he is going the exact opposite direction, right? All the numbers are going the wrong way. You don't know where his value is going to be. And that's where I think all of the picks obviously being valuable. I think at some point, if you were the Brooklyn Nets, you would say, well, keep a couple of those first round picks and let's talk about some higher profile guys. Now, is Memphis going to be willing to part part with Bain? You know, you get into the Xavier Tillman. I'm not going to mention Jaron Jackson Jr., right? But but that's where I think a deal like this would probably fall apart is that the Nets would say, we already have a pretty big stockpile of draft capital. We do get back 2024 where we lack first round picks, but Memphis is going to be good, you assume, if we make a deal like this. And I think that that's probably where it falls apart, right? Somewhere in the details of the Nets wanting to get another young core player because after you move McHale, then you start looking at the Nets roster and saying, are we bringing back Cam- Cameron Johnson now? We don't need to re-sign him. That might be a sign-in trade. Right. And the Nets That's young true. players aren't good enough, right? Cam Thomas is not the future of this team. Dayron Sharp is not the future of this team. Nicholas Clax is great, but he might not be a part of the future if you start getting rid of some of the other talented players. No, that's very fair. And I do think, you know, Zach Kleiman, the Grizzlies general manager, says all the time, in order for a deal to happen, it takes two teams. So I could sit there as a mock GM or a fake GM and throw a bunch of first round picks at somebody. But, you know, the opposing team has to find value in those picks. I think that Santi Aldama and Tyus Jones are their two most valuable trade pieces. I think the Tyus Jones, you know, the numbers of him as a starter in the NBA are pretty staggering. 
and, and uh, you know, comparing those to when he's a reserve, which obviously in Memphis he would be. So I know we'll talk more about Tyus here in a little bit. Yeah, uh, I, I am most interested in Tyus, Santi. I don't really want to trade Santi, but I'm also semi-realistic understanding that in order to get a player like a Mikel Bridges, an actually valuable young piece. Santi is almost seven feet tall and his yeah. three-point shooting, a lot of five-out type of sets are, are more realistic if you have Santi Aldama on your roster. So I, I figured that the, the answer would be no for this hypothetical trade. and uh, But uh, ironically, I had both Brooklyn Nets fans and Memphis Grizzlies fans hating it. So maybe <laughs> maybe that means you know I was closer to a deal than I realized. Yeah, and I think ultimately, as we said, when we threw these polls up on Twitter, the bulk of it, at least from a Brooklyn Nets fan perspective, was Memphis would say yes to it. The Nets would say no. The Nets wouldn't be big on it. But by the way, the both say yes. Yeah, not that was the least favorable outcome when yeah. you talk about polling the fan base. And to your point, though, that means you might be closer to it than, than you think you are, but it probably falls around in the details somewhere, knowing that Memphis doesn't want to gut some of their young talent in order to bring in a player like Mikael Bridges. Coming up here in a second, though, we're going to talk about what I think could even be the more fascinating idea of the Grizzlies and the Nets making trades, and that's around veteran players like Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, and getting more talent like that who have playoff talent on their resume, putting them around John Morant, around Desmond Bain, and the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll dive into that here coming up in just one second. But before we do, you know that if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, quite frankly, for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time that you need parts and accessories, head over to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need is going to fit right the first time around or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. And when you shop at eBay Motors you know you're going to be doing just that. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. The right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay's guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Flexible, eligible items only. Exclusions, they do apply. All right. So this is where I think it actually does get more fascinating to me. Because I think that Mikhail Bridges, you and I both agree, it, no matter what you look at these things, and you say, hey, if I can get better, I'll get better. But the Nets have made it pretty clear. Mikhail is not going anywhere, and it would take a sizable borderline, you know, criminal haul for them to make that kind there of There are reports that the Grizzlies already offered for first-round picks for Mikhail Bridges, and Brooklyn they already passed through team. Right. Going back to the trade deadline last season, they were the team that said, we'll give you four first-rounders. So if you're not willing to do it then in your Brooklyn and now you get the taste, and Mikhail looks even better, it's going to be hard to say that that, even with the players thrown in, is going to be enough. But right. when it comes to draft night, and we're calling them draft night trades, the Brooklyn Nets do have this other thing going on, and that's a couple of players on their roster, the first of which is Dorian Finney-Smith. And you brought him up as being, I think, the more ideal fit when you look at a veteran to bring into the fold for the Memphis Grizzlies. Under control for the next few seasons, team-friendly contract, and a player that reportedly at the deadline as well for the Nets could have brought in two first-round picks. What was your trade package trying to get Dorian Finney-Smith over to Memphis and then talking about, obviously, which players you're willing to part with? I'm not as high on Dorian Finney-Smith. If my partner, DeMichael Cole, were here... I'm not going to tell you that because I want the deal. If my partner, DeMichael Cole, were here, he's the one who believes in DFS. I, you know... 
obviously everybody has access to these numbers, but in watching Dallas and knowing the way that he's played these last few years, he has not been a primary three in a long time. Uh, In the last few years, he's been more of a four, a small ball four than he has been a three. And the Grizzlies are trying to replace a three. Like Dylan Brooks is not a small ball four. He might've defended Carl Anthony Towns a few times or LeBron James, and that ended poorly for him and for the Grizzlies. But he he's not that, right? He's a true perimeter three. I'm not sure DFS is. So mm-hmm. your suggestion here of Clark for Finney Smith makes it a little more interesting to me because it is Brooklyn deciding to invest in a player who's injured, right? Like Brandon Clark is coming off of an Achilles tear. So... He is under contract. Again, team-friendly deal. You know, I think it's $12.5 million or so over the next four seasons. Uh, so it's a team-friendly contract. And you're betting on him coming back healthy. The, the current estimates are around January, February, all-star break when, when he'd be able to come back. He, so much of Clark's game is based off of his bounce, right? His ability to get off the floor, a second jump immediately almost after a first one. You know, going all the way back to his time in Gonzaga when he was literally, this is true, the second most efficient basketball player in college behind Zion Williamson. When Clark was that, you saw his leap ability and how that was so vital to what he is. I'm nervous that he's going to lose some of that. Now it's 2023, Mm -hmm. lots of better science and surgeries and all that sort of stuff. Players come back from things. You know, Jamal Murray is a great example with his ACL tear. You know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, that was the end of your career when you tore your ACL. Now he's, you know, cooking the Miami Heat on an almost nightly basis. So I think that it's not necessarily the end of Brandon Clark, but I do think given Brooklyn's timeline, DFS is the veteran, right? If you have Dorian Finney-Smith as a third guy, as a, you know, a reserve player on a team that's trying to win a championship, he makes a lot more sense to me in that role, what Brandon Clark would have been if he wasn't hurt. And Brandon Clark can be patient in terms of injury. Rehab. He is theoretically the better player, but is taking the larger bet in terms of him recovering. So DFS for Clark is something that I would be more interested in as opposed to that being the Tyus Jones swing. Because again, I see Tyus yeah. Jones as a starting point guard in the NBA and I think that is more valuable than Brandon Clark. So Clark for DFS makes more sense to me. And then, and on that front too, because when we were batting all these around, going back to saying now, and we even talked about this on our on our end, Dorian Finney-Smith being reportedly worth two first-round picks of the deadline, we said, well, that value is only going to decrease. Now, he did show up in the playoffs in a four-game sweep at the hands of the 76ers, but his numbers got back there. He did some nice defensive things where I think if you are a Memphis Grizzlies, you can squint and see, Right. His value, to your point, is showing up in these spots, being a contributing Mm -hmm. player, as opposed to what the Nets did after the trade, putting him in the starting lineup, right, and running him out there for for far more minutes than I think you really want to, to maximize what his value is. But if I said Clark and the 25th overall pick in the upcoming draft for Dorian Finney-Smith, is that that a move that you're signing off of if you're the Grizzlies? I think I say yes. Yeah, I, I think I would do that because, again, Brandon Clark's not going to be ready until January or February. And in this is me. I'll, I can only speak for myself. I am worried about him coming back and being what he was. The Brooklyn mm-hmm. Nets, given their timeline, 
they don't necessarily care as much, right? It's not as big yeah. of a deal for them if he doesn't come back the way that they wanted him to. And they can afford to take a risk because if Clark does come back and is really good, you know, they basically have a better, younger DFS, you know, Sean Marion-esque kind of things that, that Clark can do without the three-point shooting. Uh, and that would be extremely valuable. And he fits the timeline of Brooklyn. He fits the one in Memphis, too, of course. But he he makes more <laughs> sense for the Nets than DFS does. And because of what Memphis has been through, needing veteran presence, DFS fits what the Grizzlies need in that particular way better than Clark yeah. does. And then you mentioned it there from a Nets perspective, you know, Clark comes back healthy. He could be a part of the Nets at 26 years old, fits in right with where Mikhail Bridges is, with where Cameron Johnson's going to be. They bring him back. Right a in lot that of mix. switchability there. Right. And also he, he can be a guy that you trade, right? The Brooklyn Nets oh, are yeah. kind of in this. Let's see how things go over Mikhail Bridges contract. So if it doesn't go the way that you're hoping, you start to look across the roster and say, who around the league finds a Spencer Dinwiddie valuable to their playoff run, right? Who looks at a Cameron Johnson at, what could end up being 22, 23 million a year. Who knows how that's going to look back in a couple of seasons, but they're going to be able to shed these contracts too. So if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you look at it not only as getting a first round pick, and maybe they would say, hey, we'd like it in 2024 because we don't need three picks from 21 to 25 in this draft, but we also are picking up a guy that we can turn into draft capital down the road and potentially a big trade swing. Um, is there anybody else saving Tyus Jones for the conversation we're going to have here to close things out in segment three? Is there anybody else on the roster that if I said, hey, the Brooklyn Nets don't want the pick, we want to give you Dorian Finney-Smith, but we want a player back for him. What, what's the highest level of player that you would go to if we said, yeah, Clark is injured. We don't want to bring him back, and we're waiting to have a different Tyus Jones discussion? That's an interesting question. I, I think that Luke Kennard, is probably the right answer because the Los Angeles Clippers valued him so little in that mm -hmm. trade at the trade deadline. But if you watch the Grizzlies Lakers series, if Luke Kennard doesn't get hurt, I think there's a decent chance that series goes seven that they, they found a weakness in the Lakers when it was Luke Kennard out there with Bain, John Morant, the, the numbers were astounding. Like there was a run in that yeah. first round series where the most efficient player in the national basketball association's playoffs was Luke Kennard in terms of net ratings. So I think that the answer is Luke Kennard or Steven Adams, one of those two. But after watching the postseason with Luke Kennard and the season at large and how different the Grizzlies were without Steven Adams compared to when they did have him, mm -hmm. it's hard to say I would trade those guys for a DFS. But again, if you ask my partner to Michael Cole, if you ask somebody else, they might have a higher opinion of DFS. I really like the Clark for Finney Smith idea, but that's yeah. because I'm I'm more concerned about what Brandon's going to be coming off of the Achilles than most people are in Memphis. And in, in my opinion, I think if you're a Brooklyn Nets, if you're the Brooklyn Nets organization or well, there could be a bit of a hedge there. If you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're looking to landscape giving up Dorian Finney Smith for question mark potentially with Clark, there's a risk there. I think Brooklyn Nets fans, I almost know for a fact that they would send out Dorian Finney-Smith to get a first-round pick and take a flyer on a player like Clark to see what happens because Smith is older, it's not the timeline you want to be on, and you want to at mm -hmm. least give yourself an opportunity to get another young player in the door. And we're starting to see a lot of names in these 20, you know, 25, 30 range in this year's draft are actually pretty exciting. And even if they are long-term developmental guys, having an extra piece to maybe even move up the board for Brooklyn would be valuable. Coming up here in a second, we'll go ahead and dive into this Tyus Jones discussion. It's the player 
that Joe is dying to get rid of. The question yes, is, gosh, the Brooklyn let me Nets trade him, please. Want to get him on to their roster and form potentially a nice little backcourt with a true point guard. We dive in on that in just one moment. Of course, first, before we do that, we got to let you know that you need to make a fast break over to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Why? Because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat-first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500. Even if I said it weird the first time, it still counts as cash. All back in (laughs) bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. You know that you get great promotions every single day, like this one, $2,500. You also can get a safe and secure use of the app, knowing that you can put in your bets and get same-day payouts when you hit big. So there's no better place all playoff long for the action than the number one sportsbook in America. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official betting partner of the NBA. Now, it's interesting because the Clark trade did get me excited because I I was scrolling through the Grizzlies roster. I know we want to shed Dorian Finney-Smith, and that one surprised me because I I wasn't thinking it until I got to it. But originally, you were talking about a Tyus Jones trade, which you and I talked also around the network mock draft. I think we were throwing around a little bit. Mm -hmm. Your desire to get rid of Tyus Jones is, is so palpable that it gives yeah. me pause about wanting to do a trade that involves Tyus Jones. What is the problem that you want to move off of him? There's nothing wrong with Tyus Jones as long as you see him as a starting point guard. As we alluded to earlier in the show, the Memphis Grizzlies already have a starting point guard. He might be doing dumb things right now, and he <laughs> might be suspended for part of the season, but he is the starting point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies for the next five years at least. Trading him makes zero sense. His value has never been lower than it is right now. I don't understand anybody. I just struggle with that mindset. He's on the Grizzlies. They're stuck with it, right? Until he asks for a trade, which I don't think he's going to do. Because again, no one to blame for what's happening to John Morant but himself. So off on that tangent. Tyus Jones, if you look at his numbers, I think he averaged something like 16 points per game as a starting point guard. He's been the top assist to turnover ratio player in the NBA for the last five seasons. But if you look at his numbers this past season, when he was a true backup, right? Because people like to throw around how Tyus Jones is the best backup point guard in the NBA. That's not true, depending on how you define it. When he is the true reserve behind John Morant, he is nowhere near as good. When he fills in for John Morant, he's excellent. He excels. And they are both undersized. I think Jaw is six foot three as a point guard, which is a good size for a point guard of the NBA today. Tyus is 6'1", which is a fine size. But again, Ja cannot play the two-guard spot. He's not a three-point threat that way. Right. It, defensively, it's a problem. Tyus and Ja cannot play together consistently. So I struggle, Adam, with paying, as we talked about roster construction, Ja Morant's entering hit the first year of his max contract. Tyus Jones makes $14 million on an expiring deal this coming year. That's 46 or $47 million tied up in two guys that can't play together. Yeah. And I, I'm not cool with that. So that is where my desire to move on from Tyus lies. It has nothing to do with Tyus being bad. If you need a starting point guard, it's the opposite. He's quite good. And I think that Brooklyn could benefit from having a starting point guard. And that's actually where I think it's interesting because he has one year remaining 14 million. So if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you look at this and you say, 
are we committed to then bringing him back on a long-term deal? Maybe, maybe not, right? We can take a look at how this unfolds and make a decision. And, and very easily, you can paint the picture where there's a sign and trade next offseason with the Brooklyn Nets sending Tyus Jones to a team where it makes sense at an even higher level, team that's going for championships. But in the short term, the other guy on the Brooklyn Nets roster and Spencer Dinwiddie, who's also going into the final year mm-hmm. of his deal, this is where I think it, it makes a lot of sense because now the Nets won't be a huge team, but Spencer Dinwiddie, he's a, he's an oversized if you put him at the point guard, right around the right size. He can still hold up if you move him to the two. You can shuffle Mikhail up to the three and then just keep moving your pieces. I mean, you know, the NBA is relatively positionless. Nets fans would hate the idea of a small point guard because that's all that they've had. But none of those small point guards have ever been of the caliber. I think Tyus Jones would be to your point when he's given that starting opportunity. We, we talked about just the bones of this deal. This is one that you sent to me almost like on the, on the fly. It just came in all of a sudden my DMs and it was a, for the first round pick this year, Tyus Jones and getting back in return. What I think a lot of teams look at and say is maybe the lesser of the Dorian Finney Smith Royce O'Neal value. If you're bringing in a veteran Royce O'Neal and also Patty Mills. So Nets fans rejoice automatically because you're shedding Patty, Patty Mills contract, something that the Nets want to move on from. You can think about him being a small backup point guard, not unlike Tyus Jones, but not costing you as much. And the Royce O'Neal fit makes sense for me for Memphis too, just because it's a veteran player. He showed tremendous versatility for the Brooklyn Nets, played in bigger roles in the small ball lineups, effectively became the facilitator in the second unit for stretches. And it was good enough. And he's 30 years old. So you're surrounding your team potentially with some veteran talent. I love the idea, kind of no matter what the Brooklyn Nets think about Tyus Jones. I love it because the Brooklyn Nets get a first-round pick and they shed two players that have no long-term future with the Brooklyn Nets beyond this season. There, there's some, you know, the guaranteed money on Royce O'Neal could mean that he may not even be here, regardless of if they're necessarily able to move. My thing is what they're holding out for is a deal like this: first-round pick, shed money, get a potential starting point guard or at least a really valuable player. This. Is this maybe the most likely, like the Mikhail Bridges one, we can take off the table in a lot of ways, but this feels like a very doable deal if the Memphis Grizzlies, in fact, look at Tyus the way you're discussing him. I think it could potentially expand into the Clark trade, right? Like maybe you do a Clark for Finney Smith swap and it just becomes one massive deal. Um, But staying focused on this, uh, I like Royce O'Neal. I like Royce O'Neal better than Dorian Finney-Smith for the reasons that you outlined. He is a career 39% three-point shooter, I believe. I've seen him cook the Memphis Grizzlies as a member of the Utah Jazz on numerous occasions. He is the the Grizzlies, you know, Darko Ryakovich just was named the Toronto Raptors head coach. And one of the things that Darko and Grizzlies head coach Taylor Jenkins would always harp on, especially Jenkins, was they want their twos to also be able to play the four, right? They want, they really value guys in their long-term building that can be positionless between those spots in particular. And Mm -hmm. I think Royce O'Neal, as you just mentioned, you know, there were times against the Philadelphia 76ers, he drew the James Harden assignment. Yep. There were times in Utah uh, uh, that he was asked to play small ball four. He is capable of doing a lot of different things. And that positional versatility plus his three-point shooting, if you subscribe to the belief that Morant, Bain, and Jackson Jr., are your stars and you don't need a fourth star, you just need complementary pieces around them. Think about a John Morant, Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, Royce O'Neal, Jaron Jackson Jr. closing death lineup. Yeah. That's four guys on the perimeter, John Morant creating off the dribble, 
lots of freaking problems offensively. Defensively, maybe it's a little bit of a concern. But my point is there's so much, you know, Royce O'Neal could also be the two if you want to go big. Well, and I was going to say, you want to give yourself a little bit of benefit on the defensive end. At least you know Royce is capable of taking on those switches at a you know three-position defensive mm-hmm. ability. And you can argue, you know, he can hold up and maybe against four assignments if you really want him to. But that's value when you have a, a, a small point guard like Ja. And I like Patty Mills. You mentioned how he is another small point guard, which is very true, of course. But he's only making, I think, $6 million, right? And, and yeah. that compared to the $14 million that Tyus is making, yeah, the Grizzlies will miss the 25 pick, and that's probably the sweetener that gets this done because Tyus could walk at the end of this year, just like you know the, the Brooklyn Nets uh, in terms of their expiring deals. There could be mm-hmm. issues there as well. So 25 overall is probably the sweetener, but I am getting two players for one. I am getting a Royce O'Neal who can play multiple positions as a veteran presence, Patty Mills, a veteran presence, who can take 12 to 14 minutes a game and fill in for John Morant. And I still have my full mid-level exception to go out and get a Harrison Barnes, a Bruce Brown, you know, something along those lines where if I want Royce O'Neal to be a reserve as opposed to a starter, I could still potentially go get a starting wing in free agency. So I, I, I am optimistic in this trade because it gives me a true backup point guard as opposed to, somebody making $14 million who's better off as a starter. And it also gives me a wing who can play with multiple players. He's malleable. And I really value that around the Morant, Bain, Jackson Jr. core. Now, hands off of Bruce Brown, because I've already put it out there into the ether mm. that the Nets now, with Bruce Brown opting out of his next, the next year of his contract, because he obviously will, coming off what we presume is going to be a championship with the Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. I've already said it out there. Bring him right on back. Use one of the ex- exceptions that you have to bring Bruce back to Brooklyn. But before we close out, mm-hmm. because it's just popped in my head, so you got to ask the questions. Aldama, if I wanted, if I wanted him and I don't want the 25th pick, and I tell you that you can have Royce O'Neal and you can have Dorian Finney-Smith, and maybe it is just Tyus Jones or maybe it is just Clark, something along those lines. Can we pry away that young player from Memphis if we're giving – we'll give you Patty Mills as well. I, I think – and again, this might be a different answer than others, but you're asking me. Santi has a lot of talent offensively. He was a, a problem in the bad way defensively against yeah. the Lakers. He was bullied – he didn't have much of a role because he was attacked so vehemently. So on my end, if I'm getting DFS, Royce O'Neal, and Patty Mills for Brandon Clark, Santi Aldama, we would probably have to talk a little bit more about who's sending out the first-round picks, but I think there's a framework there for me at least because at least I'm getting guys that can contribute now. The mm-hmm. Grizzlies, you know, everybody talks about how great the Denver Nuggets are, the number two seed in the Western Conference was the Memphis Grizzlies. And before yep. everything went to hell in a handbasket, the Memphis Grizzlies were everybody's next great team, right? Nothing has changed except for John Moran's social media awkwardness. And that's the nice yes. way to put it. And that's, that's what I was going to say. The, the, and that's the gentleman's way of referring to it. But the yeah, ta- the talent is still there. Desmond yes. Bain is still there. Jaron Jackson Jr. is still there. They will return Steven Adams, who's had a renaissance with the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. The Grizzlies have been a top five team in the NBA regular season wise the last two seasons. They're still there. They need guys that can contribute now. I'm not sure Santi Aldama can contribute now. I know Brandon Clark can't contribute now because he's injured. 
I'm bringing back guys that can contribute now. And it puts them in a better spot to contend for a championship now. So I would personally do the trade again, depending on first round stuff. Right. And while the Brooklyn Nets, you know, you mentioned Aldama, the, the defensive side of it, but I like the idea of they'll, you know, physically the Nets always need to get bigger, but when you have Nicholas Claxton, all of a sudden sure. you have the guy that's versatile defensively. And then on the offensive end, you get the player that can do some things from the perimeter, that can stretch the floor, that can space things. And I think it's the world where the Nets are always trying to dream on. How do we get Nicholas Claxton closer to the four for big stretches consistently rather than having to play that undersized five? There's give and takes inside of it. But that's the hmm. kind of thing that I think becomes fascinating, especially around the draft. Teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, to your point, if I can add in two more veterans along with Steven Adams. That's the veteran experienced players ready to support the young talent that continues to improve year over year. And if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you're trying to get younger, you're trying to find developmental players, and you're trying to be able to look forward over the next two, three, and four seasons and have the most amount of flexibility possible. So when you have teams like this running on different tracks, that's what I think becomes fascinating about these discussions because you look at it from two totally different perspectives around where the value lies. That being the case, Joe, uh, Locked on Grizzlies is where you can be found, obviously doing your mm-hmm. thing with the draft coming up. We'll see where everybody goes. Locked on Nets for me. Closing thoughts, uh, parting shots, anything that people need to know. I think that the Brooklyn Nets make sense as a trade partner. I, I would definitely keep an eye out for that. I think the Toronto Raptors make sense as a trade mm-hmm. partner. And I could see even some three-team wheeling and dealings uh, involving the Portland Trailblazers. Obviously, the number three first round pick overall is floating out there. Maybe Portland gets a Mikel and and the Grizzlies get something else coming from either Portland or Brooklyn. So I think that there's a, a, a contingent of teams that will make some noise in the next several days as the NBA finals end. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about the NBA, right? The, the championship series ends and literally next week, everybody's back to work uh, on the NBA draft. It's not like the NFL in that way. No, no pauses. The offseason of no. chaos is, is ready to explode the second that, again, we think the Denver Nuggets take that ship right. home. Uh, Joe, man, all, all, awesome stuff to connect. Hopefully, we're discussing on the back end, maybe, about how these deals came out, and you and I were reading the tea leaves correctly. Locked on Grizzlies, locked on Nets. We'll catch you guys next time right here on the Locked On Podcast Network.